You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. I know this is heavy, but the Bible is a book that is as heavy as it is honest about the human condition, about the way things really are, about why life is hard. Uh, But if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, we don't even have to look to the Bible's honesty about the hardness of life. We can just look to your own experience. I mean, have you ever gotten it your way? And it turned out to be not what you bargained for. Not what you expected. Getting what you want left you ultimately feeling empty. Maybe even oppressed by your own decisions and the consequences of them. Or whether that consequence is a conscience that won't stop throbbing, a sense of guilt you can't shake no matter how hard you try to numb it. Maybe the consequence you're feeling is the weight of a broken family, a broken promise, a broken heart. My friend, you may not think you have religion, but I wonder if you have regrets in your life. Christian, sister, brother, what about you? Have you ever gotten your way in life? I mean, imagine getting all that pleased your eye. Imagine doing whatever was right in your own eyes. Now, you remember when in Matthew, when Satan tempts Jesus, he says, I'll give you all these kingdoms, everything you can see, if you would but bow down and worship me, if you would fall and sin. Christian, have you fallen recently? Is the sting of sin's whip, the lash of that cruel taskmaster, a fresh wound on your back? Do things look bleak in your life? If so, listen carefully. There is hope for you today. And it shines so brightly. And the reason it shines so bright is because the backdrop behind it is so dark. And the backdrop for us today is the book of Judges one of the darkest books in your Bible. It is a rock-bottom book, a book about people who have been rocked to the bottom, to their core, a book about people who've been laid out flat on their back, and the only way to look is up. But unfortunately, the people's eyes wander in this book to themselves, to whatever they want, to their way. Friends and judges, we see the cowardice of men and the courage of a couple incredible sisters. In judges, we see the utter ugliness of the human heart. We see the weakness of people, but we also see the strength of God and his spirit. 
We see the length of his love and patience. We see his commitment to his promise to stay with his people and provide for them. Friends, this book is ultimately about God, his mercy and grace. A grace that overcomes the relentless stubbornness of our own hearts. Hearts that are so fallen that we would betray even our own leaders for the right amount of silver if the price was right, as happened to Samson. Beloved, this is the book of Judges. We'll turn to it in a a moment, but just as a reminder, in this bird's eye series, we're taking one sermon to look at an entire book. Uh, You might call it an overview sermon as we fly at a high altitude over Scripture to see what is the one story being told in the Bible and how any given book contributes to that one story. Uh, Friends, we're flying high to see what God is doing through history and where he is taking history. We're flying high to see how God is building his kingdom with broken people and despite broken people, like the very ones we meet in Judges. Like those we saw in Numbers, the book we looked at last time. Uh, So as a reminder, where we're at in the story, we saw that God had promised to make a people in Genesis 12. He had delivered them out of slavery in Egypt in Exodus and given them the law and the call to be holy in Leviticus. We'll come back to that. But last time, In Numbers, we saw how God brought his people to the edge of the promised land, right? We witnessed the family road trip. In the book of Deuteronomy, God gives his people the law again as he reminds the next generation of what he's done and as he calls them to be faithful to their end of the covenant. So the people are ready to enter the land, and in the book of Joshua, they finally do. In Joshua, they enter Canaan, the promised land. Many of you may be familiar with the story of Joshua in Jericho. Now, God had charged his people to be holy, to be distinct from the nations. I loved how he's saying, you're setting us apart. And he had called his people to drive out the evil nations in this land he had given them. Uh, Joshua ends beautifully describing this gracious gift of God. In Joshua 21, we find this record of God's faithfulness. It says, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he had swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given them all their enemies into their hands. Not one word. Of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed, all came to pass. You see, God had kept his end of the deal. If only the people had kept theirs. But Judges is the story of how the people came into the land and failed. God's great story stalls as the people keep sinning, as they blend in with the nations around them and eventually eventually land in the deepest, darkest chaos. Friends, the message of Judges is that God's people, we only make it by grace. Left to our own, we live in darkness. In a sad cycle of sin. I wonder if you've ever felt enslaved to your sin. Trapped 
in a vicious cycle, unrelenting. If you have, pay close attention to the cycle we see in Judges. What is that cycle? What do we see in Judges? We see a middle finger to God. Point number one, phase number one of the cycle, a middle finger to God. Why do I describe it that way? Because the people abandoned God. Look at Judges chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. If you're new to the Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers and the little numbers are the verses. And just a heads up, this first point is my longest point. And I'm going to use graphic descriptions in my outline because Judges is graphic. Judges chapter 2, verse 11. God's word says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord the God of their fathers. Let's pause there. And one more heads up. Uh, We're going to look at chapter 2 a lot because chapter 2 is basically a summary of Judges. Chapter 2 is Judges in a bottle. But friends, the matter is clear. The people had come into the land and sinned against God. The first commandment God had given the people after he brought them out of Egypt was that they were to have no other gods before him. And what do the people do? Verse 11, look again with me. They serve the Baals, the idols of the land. They put their gods with a lowercase g before God with a capital G, the only God, the God of their fathers. Verse 12 says, who were these fathers? They were the previous generation, Joshua's generation. But though Joshua was an incredible leader, he was not an immortal leader. No, he died. Uh, Given the darkness of Judges, it's no wonder the book begins at a funeral. Look at Judges chapter 2, verse 6. Judges chapter 2, verse 6. God's word says, when Joshua dismissed the people... The people of Israel went each to his own inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Herets, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Friends, last week, Pastor Dustin preached out of 2 Peter 3, and his first point was about the power of remembrance. Two weeks ago in Numbers, the first question we asked was, do you remember? And that was the question being asked of the people. That's no small reason why Moses wrote that stage-by-stage record of Numbers, so that the people could remember God's faithfulness, his law, his promises, his ways, and their commitment to live in those ways. 
Friends, so the people would remember. They got the law again in in Deuteronomy. So the people would remember. Joshua, at the end of his conquest, commanded the, the people to serve the Lord in sincerity and faithfulness and to choose you this day whom you shall serve. So the people might remember. So they might know the Lord and the work he had done for Israel. And they were to pass the news of this work on to their kids. As Deuteronomy 6 says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you arise. In other words, all the time as you go through life, you are to teach your kids about God. And this is why places like Psalm 78 say, we will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And this is why it is such a privilege to serve downstairs in children's ministry. Friends, you don't have to have kids to tell kids about God and what he's done. But parents... I hope you don't just expect the church to do this for you. No, you are to teach your children about God. So just an example from my own life. Uh, yesterday we were doing yard, yard work. Uh, my kids were helping me. Uh, we were clearing out some brush that had some thorns on them, and thorns hurt. And I said to my kids, hey, you want to know why there's thorns in the ground? Genesis 3. I didn't say it like that. But we want to teach our kids as we go through life. Beloved, there should be no assumption that simply because you are a Christian, that means your kids will be one too. Judges makes that clear. Chapter 2, verse 10 is haunting. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. I mean, this is striking. One generation, Joshua's grave is still warm, and the kids that follow him leave the Lord. It ought to remind us, beloved, that the church is one generation away from extinction. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. Oh, friends, the question we asked these last couple of weeks was, do you remember? Did the people remember? The answer judges give, sadly, is no. Judges 3, 7. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God. Beloved, this is why God reminds us so much in Scripture. Whether it be in 2 Peter or Deuteronomy or Psalms or Exodus. Have you ever noticed that the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 doesn't just start with commandment number one. No. It begins with, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Friends, the scriptures are like a giant reminder, a divine note to self. What a gift that it's written down and that you can read. But we're doing a book drive for Stare After Church and pushing this program because we want kids to be able to read. So they, they might remember the works of God. 
And we want to remember the works of God because what God has done for his people is a big deal. And yet, the people abandoned God. Chapter 2, verse 12. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Do you hear the echoes of Exodus? The reminder. Look back at verse 12 with me. They, the people, went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, which were the idols of the day. Friends, God made and saved the people. And this is how they respond. Thanks for the land of milk and honey. We'll take it from here. Beloved, I know Judges has lots of incredible stories. I could tell you about Ehud in chapter 3, or Jael in chapter 4, or Gideon in chapters 6 through 8, or how Abimelech, an evil dude who tries to usurp authority, had his head crushed in chapter 9, or Samson in chapters 13 through 16. And friends, this is really the outline of Judges. So note takers, write this down. The outline of Judges, the first part is the prologue in chapters 1 through 3. The second part records the Judges, that's chapters 3 through 16. And then the third part is the epilogue in chapters 17 through 21. But at the heart of the matter, the beginning of the cycle is the people's abandonment of God. Friends, that's the essence of sin. Leaving God for something else. You see, the people were to come into the land and live happily with God under his rule. But that's why they were to drive out the nations, because they would lead them away from God. But the people didn't do that faithfully. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, after the death of Joshua, so we saw the funeral earlier. Chapter 1 then picks it up where the funeral left off. It says there's a leadership vacuum and things go downhill. The tribes of Israel did not drive out the inhabitants of the land. So just look at chapter 1, verse 27. Chapter 1, verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. Chapter 1, verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Chapter 1, verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. And we can look at verse 31 and 33 and following to see that the people started to make small compromises with the world. They started tolerating little indulgences, little pockets of the world. And then they started to look a whole lot like the world. One commentator called Judges the long, painful account of the Canaanization of Israel. You see, God's people were to be distinct from those around them. That's what God had told them back in Leviticus. The Lord said, you shall not walk in the ways and the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you. For they did all these evil things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. Friends, that's what holiness essentially is. Separation from evil. Now, let me be clear. God is not saying you can't have non-Christian friends. But he is saying, be careful that they don't lead you away from him. Right? There are lines to be drawn. 
So, for example, we Christians shouldn't marry non-Christians, but what do the people do? Judges chapter 3, verse 6. Look with me. Judges 3, 6. The daughters of the nations, the people took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons. And what happened? They served their gods. Friends, the trouble is not that the people were in the land, but that they were starting to become of the land. Now, because I mentioned marriage to unbelievers, let me speak to that for a moment. 1 Peter 3 has a lot of instruction for those of us who find ourselves married to non-Christians. No one is beyond God's grace. But as a pastor of a church with a lot of single people in it, let me say how encouraged I am by those of you who long for marriage and you're being asked out by non-believers and you're saying no. You're trusting God because you know, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, that God says we should only marry in the Lord, that Christians should only marry other Christians. And if you wouldn't marry someone who isn't a Christian, you know it doesn't make much sense to date them. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. For some of you, this season may be hard, but God sees your faith your patience, and it is not wasted. He's given you this gift of singleness. I'm thankful you're trusting him with it. Keep going. And friends, we need to keep going. There's so much more we could say about the people's sin. God had called them to be holy right after the section we read in Leviticus. Earlier, the Lord says again, you shall be holy to me, for I, am, for I the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. God wanted the people to be his people. But the people didn't want God to be their God. And so, they abandoned him. That's the first phase of the sad cycle in Judges, a middle finger to God. What do we see next? A kick in the rear. Point number two, the second phase in the cycle, a kick in the rear. Why do I describe it that way? Because God would judge the people. So phase one, the people would sin. Phase two, the Lord hands them over in judgment. Look at Judges 2 verse 13. Judges chapter 2 verse 13. The people abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherah. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. Let's pause there. Friend, God loves his people. And love cares. It it can't be indifferent to evil even the evil of his own people, right? I love my kids. I love them too much to leave them in their sin. That's why I discipline them. That's why I warn them in in hopes that I don't have to discipline them. Like, I love you. That's not wise. Don't do that. That'll lead to trouble. 
Friends, chapter 2, verse 15 says, God had warned the people. Judges is teaching us about the seriousness and the authority of God's warning and word. So in Leviticus, the section I keep reading from in Leviticus 20, God says, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. Beloved, do you hear the graphic warning? God's like, I don't want y'all to be exiled from the land. Listen to my words, my warnings. I'm not playing with you. And friends, God warns the people because he loves the people. Judges is dark, but it teaches us about the love of God. After all, you might think we learn about the love of God when everything's going good, right? Like, God loves the people. He, he blessed them so much. But it's when everything is going bad, when the people abandon God, that you really start to see his love. Like, God loves the people. He sticks with them even when they abandon him. But that doesn't mean he won't judge them. Oh, we heard it earlier in chapter 2, verse 14, that he would give them over, sell them. In Judges, there's this haunting call and response that's consistent throughout the book. It goes something like this. The call, the people again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the response and the anger of the Lord was kindled and he sold them, or he raised up an adversary against them. You can see this call and response in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, and 12, in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, again in chapter 6, verse 1, again in chapter 8, verse 33, again in chapter 10, verse 6 and 7, and again in chapter 13, verse 1. Just flip to chapter 10, verse 6. In chapter 10, verse 6, I just want us to see an example of this call and response. Chapter 10, verse 6, it reads... The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. Pause. Look at the list of idolatry and how it's grown in just 10 chapters. Before, the people just served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Now they're serving the gods of Syria, Sidon. It's no wonder the text says, look with me at the end of verse 6, the people forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So there's the call. Here's the response. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. Friends, I know this can sound severe. But here's what I don't want you to miss. It is a mercy that God sent oppressors to remind the people of their rebellion. It is a mercy God pulled the chair from under them. Because it wasn't a good chair for the people to sit in. But the people kept saying, I want to sit in that chair. I want to sit in that chair. So God said, fine sit. And of course, the people fell. And of course, it hurt. But sometimes, that's the only way we learn. 
How does the psalmist put it? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Friends, God let his people feel the gravity of their sin. And feel it, they did. Which leads us to the next part of the sad cycle in Judges. We've seen the people's middle finger to God. God's kick in the rear as he pushes them toward the nations they were running after. And number three, what we see is a listening ear. Point three, third phase in the cycle, a listening ear. I describe it that way because God heard his people's cry. Let's just stay in chapter 10. In judgment, God had sold his people to the nations they were running after, the Philistines and the Ammonites. And what was the result? Verse 8, look with me, the Philistines and the Ammonites crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. The Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. Let's stop there. Friends, sin is oppressive. It leads to death, to distress. That's what Judges is trying to teach us. We might be tempted by a little sin, but just like that fish is tempted by that bait, he doesn't realize that there is a hook on that thing that he can't see, and it will bring him to a situation he never thought he would be in and never wanted to be in. Friends, this is the nature of sin. It never delivers on what it promises. It is a cruel taskmaster. Sin is not trying to be your friend. It wants your life. See, the temptation is to be like Israel and think, I can indulge a little bit. I'm in control. I can bite without getting hooked. But then you look up and you realize your sin is oppressing you. The very thing you wanted is literally crushing you, owning you. I mean, Judges feels like the unexodus. The undoing of Exodus. Exodus in rewind as the people look up and are sold back into the hand of oppressors. Do you see, beloved? Though they changed locations, the people were still enslaved. Friends, do you see what this teaches us about the human heart in your chest? The people would need more than a new location, a move across country to escape their sin. Their location wasn't so much the problem as their heart was. Not a geography problem, but a spiritual problem. I was having lunch with our brother, uh, Cotus Grundy. There you are, Cotus. Right over here, Jim and Nick's, this past week, and he was sharing his testimony with me, and he said, I grew up moving all over the place, you know, trying to run away from me. But the problem is, me showed up wherever I went. I choked on my food at that point. I was like, it's good. Friends, the people had been handed over to their sin, and they were feeling the foolishness and the oppressiveness of it. Chapter 2, our summary of Judges, would sum it, sum it up, this part of the cycle in verse 15, by saying the people were in terrible 
distress. So what do they do? Chapter 10, verse 10, look with me. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, we have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have, not ser- and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also, and the Amalekites and the Moanites oppressed you, and you have cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in your time of distress. I mean, can you imagine hearing that from God? You wanted those other gods? Ask them to save you. But beloved, I am so glad this is not the last verse in the Bible. Just so we're clear on the sad cycle in Judges. The people sin, God hands them over, the people cry out, and there is another final phase. The Lord delivers them. Again and again, the Lord delivers them. I mean, you heard it in the verses I just read, where God's like, didn't I save you from these people, and these people, and also these people? And God delivered his people by raising up leaders called judges. So chapter 2, no need to turn there, I'll just read it. It says the people were in terrible distress. And right after, it says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved the people out of the hands of those who plundered them. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. So he raised up deliverers. Judges. This is why the book is called Judges. Kids. I love how Pastor Kevin DeYoung describes these judges in his kids' Bible. He says, quote, These judges didn't wear black robes and funny white wigs and bang gavels. They were warriors who led the people, often to great victory, until God's people disobeyed. Then God sent their enemies to humble them until they learned to trust God again, which sometimes they did, but overall they didn't. And that, friends, is the sad summary of Judges. Let's look at the last verse in the book. Turn to Judges 21, 25. Judges 21, 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. My mom was an AP government teacher. She'd often quote this verse to her students. Wish I could have called her this past week. Got her wisdom on this verse afresh. But the verse is clear and stark enough. You see, the cycle eventually stopped. After Samson's death in chapter 16, the people didn't cry out anymore. They didn't repent. But the sin just got worse 
and worse. The picture, darker and darker. Though there is objective morality, there is right and wrong, truth and error, it didn't matter. The people just did whatever they wanted, each to his own. And the result was disorder and violence and chaos. Which is why we have to look by faith to the last thing judges would have us see. Point number four, nail-pierced hands. Point number four, nail-pierced hands. We've seen the people's middle finger to God, his kick in their ear, his listening ear given to them as he heard their cries and delivered them time and time again through different judges. So that's the cycle. The people sin. God hands them over in judgment. The people cry out. God delivers them via judge. Wash, rinse, repeat. Until the people keep sinning and the cycle stops. But God doesn't. He doesn't stop. The story doesn't stop. Friends, I describe this last thing we see by faith in Judges as nail-pierced hands because God would send an ultimate deliverer, an ultimate judge, a king. You see, the people needed more than the judges of their day because if you read about those judges, though they did some mighty things, they also did some mighty terrible things. But we have the story of Ruth, book after Judges, which happens during the time of Judges, and it's a candle flickering in the darkness, giving us hope, a hope that is not fulfilled in King Saul, not even in King David, but one who would come from Ruth and David's line. Friends, the hope is fulfilled in King Jesus. Beloved, the book of Judges covers the time period after Moses and before the kings of Israel. This period is roughly 1300 to 1100 B.C. But make no mistake, Judges' main point is to prepare us for Jesus, who came and did what was right in his father's eyes. Beloved, in the power of the Spirit, Jesus would come and deliver his people once and for all. How would he do it? By dying the death of we deserved. You see, we, like the people of Israel, have done what is right in our own eyes, even if it was wrong in God's. We, like Israel, deserve to be cast off and sold into slavery for good. But Jesus came and bought us back. That's what redemption is, purchasing back. And the price he paid was his very life. Friends, on the cross, Jesus was oppressed and crushed by the weight of our sin so we wouldn't have to be. Though he lived perfectly, Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins, paying the debt we owed to God, and the Spirit of God raised him on the third day. And Jesus now offers forgiveness of sins, even the darkest of sins, the sin no one else in this room knows about, but you can't stop thinking about. Jesus offers forgiveness for that sin to anyone who would turn from their sin and trust in him. Y'all, this is what you're going to be talking about in Morocco. (laughs) Friends, God is out to do something greater than the exodus in your soul. He's out to free you from sin that you might live and love him and be holy, that you might do what's right in your father's eyes, just as his son did. 
Friends, if you're anything like me, you read Judges and you see the cycle over and over and you ask the question, why would God keep giving his people chances? Why does he let the story keep going? As we trace the story of God's people in the Bible, we might might wonder what the point is. One Bible, Bible scholar said, as Christians, we recognize that Israel's history is not haphazard, not a series of random incidents, but as in all history, it is governed by the purpose of God. What is God's purpose in judges, as one pastor said? God would let this sinful people, who were determined not to rely on him, rely on every other possible means until every other possible means was exhausted. Friends, they would learn, finally, they would learn that the only one who could save them was God himself, and then they would turn to him. This is what the book of Judges is meant to do for us as well. We are meant to be morally and emotionally tired by the time we finish reading it. And we are meant to despair of trusting in some other judge to save us. Friends, Judges, in Judges, God is teaching us about his nature and ours. He's teaching us how stubborn we are and how patient he is. He's teaching us how we can't save ourselves or stop sinning until he brings us out of our sin. Friends, do you see the book of Judges shows us that God would not just leave his people in their sin, but that he would send his son in the dark chaos to die for their sin. The book of Judges shows us that God does not just deliver people in judgment, he delivers them from judgment. Beloved, the very God who ought to hand you over in judgment would spread his hands for you as they were nailed to a cross. That's what Judges gets us ready for. And it also gets us ready for this table that we might eat, drink, remember, and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. To save his people, and to judge his enemies. We do understand that this table is open to sinners, but only a certain kind of sinner. That's a repentant sinner. So if you're not walking with Jesus, we'd ask that you not come forward, but that you come to us after the service. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. You can find me, you can find Dustin. Interrupt the conversation we're having. The church member will understand. Just say, I would like to talk to you about this what it means to follow Christ. But for all of us who are following Christ, come, eat, remember. Let me pray for us. Father, the psalmist writes that the sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. But that same psalm says you will not abandon our souls to the grave. Lord, though we abandon you, we praise you that you don't treat us as we deserve. In the same way, help us to trust you and you only for the deliverance we need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.